The Annex Wealth Management Show on 92.5 Fox News is hosted by Annex Wealth Management, a registered investment advisor. Important information about the qualifications and business practices of Annex is available at AnnexWealth.com. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk. Please consult with a qualified fiduciary advisor about your specific situation. Know the difference. Now, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 92.5 Fox News. Welcome, everybody. It's the Thanksgiving weekend edition of Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. Really glad you're here. Got a good hour planned for you. On the way, should you include pets in your estate plans? Maybe. More people are. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about discordant retirement. When you get into retirement and you're not on the same page as your spouse, we would like to help you prevent that. And then toward the end of the show, we're going to talk about caring for aging parents because it's something that we all you know, face from time to time, and it's a struggle. And if you've got the right setup in mind, it, it'll help for sure. We do investment and retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning. But as you listen to this show, you'll see that we do a whole lot more because what our clients do and how they live their life is important to us, and we want to help. My name is Danny Clayton, Derek Felsky, Chief Investment Officer. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Danny. Dave Spano is our president and CEO. Welcome to you. Thanks, Danny. Have you uh, have you worked off all that turkey and stuffing quite yet? Uh, it's going to be a while. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, a lot of us uh, have been doing that. And, and of course, you know, we look at the markets and the markets were closed early on Friday, just a half day, but ended in the green, fortunately. And of course, uh, over 4,000 on the S&P 500. And that's been an interesting ride. You'll remember that at the beginning of this year, we traded as high as 4,800 on the S&P, but as low as as in the 3,000. So we're kind of in the middle, Derek, and we're going to have to see how we end the rest of the year. Right. I mean, typically the seasonality would suggest we would rally into year end. However, in bear market years, that's not as pronounced as it is in other conditions in terms of monetary policy and the rest. And, you know, the cardinal thing is, you know, don't fight the Fed. And the Fed is continuing to tighten. They're going to raise rates again in December, probably 50 basis points. That's a Fed funds rate. But they're also reducing their balance sheet. And that takes liquidity out of the marketplace. So we expect volatility to remain higher than what we're accustomed to. We think there are going to be great opportunities. And ultimately, when the Fed does finally pivot and cut rates, that's when the market really can run. And so let's talk about that. So there's that term is probably going to, you're going to hear a lot of that in 23. And the term air quotes right now, folks, pivot is a long ways away. So what we expect is what in air quotes here, folks, is pause, right? So do they go through into early 2023 and look at the data and begin to pause the rate increases? That's what we're going to look for. So 50 basis points in December, we'll see what the Fed sees in early 23, and then perhaps they just stand aside and watch how the higher interest rates get digested. And what's, and what's really amazing, the strength of the labor market, the strength of the U.S. economy, the Atlanta Fed is currently thinking that fourth quarter GDP could be up 3% in real terms. So this is not a recession by any means. So the Fed has a lot of room to raise rates higher in order to stifle demand, which hopefully will bring down inflation in the long run. And let me just try to clean that up because you say in, in any measure. So we did have two back-to-back quarters, and a lot of economists will certainly argue the fact that that is the technical definition, and that's what we had earlier in 2022. As we go into 23 and these interest rate hikes begin to kick in, we largely expect a major slowdown in the second half of next year. All you have to do is talk to a friend of yours who's a realtor. They'll tell you things are softening. No no doubt. And that is the wealth effect, right? The reverse wealth effect. Your house price goes down a little bit. 
your stock portfolio goes down a little bit. Maybe you don't spend as much on that vacation or maybe you don't take a vacation at all. So that's what the Fed is trying to do because these inflationary pressures do tend to persist for longer than people expect. And of course, we all know this is a story has been beat to death about the inflation. I was uh, interesting, Derek, is earlier this week I was paging through some notes and I found the notes from one year ago. Uh, and this is exactly what we were talking about. We were talking about the Fed has been too accommodative. They have put too much fuel into the fire, and now they're going to have to walk it back. And they haven't been able to do that quite yet. But we knew this more than a year ago, long before they even began to start with their rate increases in March of this year. So at the end of 2021 and early 22, they were still pouring it in. And so it's going to take a while for this to take effect. Right. And and monetary policy, and they know this, it operates with a lag. It takes some time. People get adjusted to certain conditions. We have also the potential of a a railroad strike. I mean, we have distillate fuel, diesel fuel trading at ridiculous prices, shortages potentially during the winter. We all hope something happens positive out of Ukraine and Russia. But again, there's so many different things. And that's why, you know, when I think about what we do well, it's tactical investing. We take advantage of opportunities when they exist and we rotate based on what we think is going to go on in the future. And that's a defensive strategy, folks, that he's talking about. So having a balanced portfolio and around the outside of that balanced portfolio, do you overweight or underweight particular sectors or ideas or strategies? And that's what Derek is talking about. And that really is just the basic part of asset allocation and diversifying your portfolio, which is a basic defensive technique that we employ. Dave, uh, you mentioned uh, your notes from a year ago. Can I see your notes from this week? I'd like to know what happens in a year. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We'll have to watch that. And of course, uh, folks, that is really why we put this out is so people understand there are things to do in times like this. Uh, Derek used a great phrase that I like, what we do well. What we do is investment and retirement planning and tax planning and estate planning. We build a complete plan using the power of the entire Annex team, not just the folks you hear on the radio shows, but our entire stacked team. And we do it as a fee-only fiduciary, and we can do it for you. Let's get you in shape for next year and beyond. AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Reminder, we can review available on demand this weekend, our YouTube channel, the Axiom Newsletter on Sunday mornings, Spotify at the top of the hour. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show for Thanksgiving weekend. We're going to be right back. 92.5 Fox News. Someone asks how you are. Most of the time, it's good. So how's your money, your investments, your retirement plans? Given everything going on, good might not be the answer. It's time for Annex Wealth Management. Head to AnnexWealth.com. Click the Get Started button. Annex will build a plan that addresses your financial, retirement, tax, and estate planning. Annex Wealth Management can change the conversation. We don't want you to answer, good. We want you to feel the confidence of saying, great. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management. AnnexWealth.com. We're back. It's Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. Investment, retirement planning, tax planning, estate planning. That's what we do as a fee-only fiduciary. And you can start, yep, even on a long weekend. Head to the website, AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. In the studio, Derek Felsky, our Chief Investment Officer. Riding along is Dave Spano, our President and CEO. You know, it's a big retail weekend, as we all know. And, of course, it goes way back to uh, the Black Friday deals. And, of course, Black Friday, because by definition, that's when the retailers used to become profitable. They went from red to black back in the day. But uh, the retail is really interesting right now because the consumer, folks, is under, as you all know, is under a lot of pressure. Saving rates 
are down. Consumer debt is up. In fact, almost to an all-time high. We all know about inflation. Asset prices, Derek talked about the wealth effect. That means that your stock portfolio and your housing prices are down. And, of course, mortgage rates are up. All of that puts pressure on individuals to go out. So they're looking for deals, and they're probably playing a little discount chicken. They certainly are. But as you know, Dave, the labor market is super hot. The unemployment rate is 3.7%. That's one of the lowest readings since you and I have been in the business. So the economy continues to do well. We know what the Fed is trying to do. We know the supply chains are getting better. We know commodity prices have rolled over. But just because the Fed stops hiking the Fed funds rate doesn't mean that's an easing policy. It's still restrictive because those rates are going to remain high and higher than they've been in the last decade. In the last decade, that's correct. And of course, you talk about retailers and what they're going to be able to do. And of course, I saw something interesting, Danny, the other day that Walmart is now a bigger search engine than Amazon when it comes to deals that over this weekend. Yeah, Amazon is kind of hitting some right. tough spot, right? right? Of Aren't course, and Walmart. Walmart, of huh. all places, right? No, really, it's a good stock. It's really done well. In fact, there was a big story, Danny, as you well know, between Walmart and Target, and Target missed substantially because of... Theft. The theft. Shrinkage. Yeah, shrinkage. That's they call a bigger it. story now because it's either stuff's falling off the truck, yeah, you know, in the, right, the right, air quotes, right. or it's getting walked out the door. Right. $400 million of organized theft is what Target related to. And of course, uh, Derek, you know, we talk about the retailers and the opportunities that we're going to see, but this is the time of year that there is an opportunity set in some of those spaces. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, there are certain companies that have positioned well on online. There's There are others that are doing a great job in terms of cost controls and the rest. Uh, the one thing I'd like to leave people with, you know, as we go into the holiday season is we have had a really strong rally since uh, the, the lows at 3,500, about 15% or so, a lot of short covering, a lot of volatile moves and the rest. And if you were uncomfortable when the S&P was at 3,500 and now it's above 4,000, now would be a really good time to take a look and say, you know what? What are two or three companies that I own or, or two or three mutual funds that I own that really haven't performed that well? Maybe take them off, you know, right. maybe raise a little bit of cash, have some dry powder because the Fed is not done and they won't be done until they break something. So, you know, we talked about some defensive strategies at the end of last segment and I was really talking about diversifying your portfolio. But, you know, as you go and call C-U-L-L winners, that is one of the things that you look at is you say what has done well, what hasn't done well, and of course you call your losers as well. And you say maybe this there's a better opportunity set. So I often say know what you own and why you own it. And that's what I mean by that is what is in your portfolio and why do you own it? And maybe a sector that you owned a year ago is not the right place, Derek. Well, as an example, to me, energy is the right place to be for the next five years because there's been underinvestment and great dividend yields. Technology, probably overowned. People probably own too much technology. And these companies have gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. And the bigger- but Let me just say, but you can own technology, but you're talking about the eight big companies. Technology is still with us. It's just what technology stocks do you oh, own? Oh, absolutely. You want to be positioned in artificial intelligence. You want to be in semiconductors. But these larger companies that have defended, depended on ad spending, for example, and just viewership, they, they're going to have a problem because it's harder to grow from the levels they're at. And they those stocks tend to not just underperform, go sideways for a long period of time. 
Innovation is always about technology and there are always new smaller companies that are ahead of the curve that are nimble and will take advantage of things as they develop. And you talk about ideas, you know, we all know about the FTX debacle, <laughs> which is the crypto trading platform. But behind that, folks, is something called blockchain technology. And that's not going away. Despite all of this uh, crookedness that coming out of the Bahamas, blockchain technology is still a valuable idea. There is places for technology in your portfolio. What Derek is talking about is the really big companies that have dominated the indexes. That is the way we think. That is the way we operate, and we can do it for you as well. Annex Wealth Management very simply takes care of four key areas, investment planning, retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning. And we work them together because that is how the plan operates. Can we do it for you? How are you feeling about who you're working with? Maybe there are some doubts. Maybe it's not anybody. Can we get you across the finish line? Head to the website, AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. You don't want to arrive in retirement and experience issues with your spouse. That's discordant retirement. We're going to cover that next on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 92.5 Fox News. Have you been waiting on the sidelines for the right moment, the right headline, or the right insight to get serious about your financial plan? At Annex Wealth Management, we've learned that, unfortunately, there are no sidelines in financial planning. Doing nothing may shield you from immediate pain, but it could delay or deny your long-term retirement goals. As a fee-only fiduciary, our in-house team will work with you to create one comprehensive plan that focuses on you. Annex Wealth Management. Know the difference. AnnexWealth.com. Know the difference? Discordant retirement. That's a thing. It sounds like a marital spat, but it really just describes a phenomenon retirement researchers have been digging into lately, the fact that few married couples retire at the same time. Deanne Phillips is here to talk about this. She's Director of Client Learning and Development at Annex Wealth Management, as well as the CFP and a CDFA Certified Divorce Financial Analyst. Welcome back, Deanne. Hey, thanks for having me. Discordant retirement. This is a thing. It really is. Retirement's very complex. Years ago, people were tired when they retired. And here we talk about retirement in multiple stages. And psychologists, of course, have talked about this a lot. We call it when you first retire your go-go years, where first you're in the honeymoon stage. You have that honey-do list. You have the things that you always dreamed about doing. And then your slower go years, then your no-go years, right? Slower go and no-go make a little bit more sense, but it's those go-go years. And when you hit that at different ages and you've got one spouse, usually the wife who's still potentially working, there's a whole different phase that you can go through. And that is rediscovering yourself and how you're going to spend that money in that very first part of retirement. So you see this all the time. What would you say is the percentage of couples who do not retire at the same time? Well, there was a recent survey by Fidelity Investments that found that about 43%, so almost half of married couples, disagreed about the age they'll retire. You know, the average age of retirement is 63, but that's a difficult statistic to answer, Danny, because half of those people go back to work in some capacity. So everybody really goes through a phase of defining what is retirement. You know, we saw about 10 years ago a slew of um, the younger baby boomers who might have lost their jobs. There, were, there was downsizing that was happening. And when you're down downsized in your late 50s, early 60s, you're kind of faced with the decision then, do I want to go ahead and find something in my old field? Will I be able to? Will there be, even if it's not mentioned, some sort of what I feel is age discrimination or do I just slip into retirement now? So discordant retirement's been around for a while. The question is, you know, how do people pick themselves up from their bootstraps and get beyond that first self-identification phase? 
What's the problem if they can't agree on when they're going to retire? Uh, that, okay. It's really a psychological answer okay. to that question. When my parents retired, my dad retired first, my mom worked for another couple of years, and it seemed just fine. Was that their generation? Yeah, it really is. So greatest generation, when women entered the workforce during that generation, it was a, a little bit of different assumptions. They still were making that bridge to, remember, women didn't sit on boards mm-hmm. much then. They didn't run companies as much then. So it was really making that bridge to being outside of the traditional June Cleaver role and really working. So it was a little bit easier for them to, I'm making generalization here, but to slip back into that supportive role in the home later on. Now you flash forward to the Gen Xers and certainly Gen Ys and you look at our generation as Gen Xers, Danny, you know, the women, of course we were going to, for the most part, go to college and work a full time and have a career. And women's and, and men's brains, because we're wired differently. Women are just so used to having that multitasking, you know, we have to have the, we're the caretaker, maybe our aging parents, the kids, we're the ones who have to have the kids, right? And so we take time off for that a little bit, potentially. We have our friends, we have our social experience. When we look at how men generate, we're operating into that retirement. It really depends on their personality type. But remember, someone who's an A-type personality does not stop being an A-type personality in retirement. We're talking about discordant retirement with Deanne Phillips. There's a discordant phase. One spouse works uh, longer than another. We should talk about great financial planning because that's what Annex Wealth Management does. And this is where really you get into eligibility for pensions or when are you going to start taking Social Security distributions? When do you start pulling from that bucket? Right. So obviously there's a lot of financial decisions that have to be made as you are moving up to the point where you're deciding upon retirement, whether or not you're retiring at the same age or not. But if there is that discordance, if one spouse is going to continue working and the other does happen to retire early uh, before the age of 65, let's call that early from a healthcare point of view, because that's when you can take Medicare, right? That's when it can kick in. So you have to look at things as a financial planner, like your healthcare benefits, your Medicare benefits, what that bridge is going to look like and what that expense will be. So we talked about planning. Also, we need to talk about vision. We do ask our clients, you know, are you thinking that you're going to age in place? And what that really means is if you're going to do a major revision remodeling and you're in your late 50s, early 60s, are you going to stay there or why are you doing it? You know, what's your thought behind it? It's never too early to begin the discussion of how you envision your downtime together. You know, as, as a certified divorce financial analyst, you know, unfortunately, we've really seen the rise of gray divorce. That's divorce in people over the age of 50 because they have this discordant timing and or thought on what that's going to look like that you're going to want to start a conversation with with your spouse. Deanne Phillips, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Cut through the clutter with Axiom, the weekly newsletter from Annex Wealth Management. Subscribe today for seven insights built and delivered to you every Sunday. It'll help you navigate the markets and the things that affect your money. The Axiom. Sign up at AnnexWealth.com. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management. Keith Butler, a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome back, Keith. Always a pleasure, Danny. Caring for aging parents is tough, and things can get complicated in a hurry. Those who are called upon with the crucial task of caring for elderly parents can benefit from planning ahead, both emotionally and financially. While some of the developments may be out of our control, there are a few things that we can do to soften the impact. And Keith, that's what we're going to talk about. And this is just really something that I went through. After my mom died and my parents were living in Arizona, my dad actually reached out to my sister and said, will you let me know when you think it's time that I come home? And that really gets into the, you need to have the talk. 
Oh, that's awesome, Danny. I really love to hear that because so often you hear just the opposite, where people get you know into their, well, it varies by individual, maybe their late 80s into their 90s, and it gets to the point where they really can't drive anymore, and that's a loss of independence. So having that open line of communication is so important, and a lot of people express frustration because they want them to leave their house because they can't handle the house anymore, living alone. They, they should have a little apartment or something, or perhaps assisted living because they can't handle all of their daily activities and everything. And you know, one of the things I've often said is, you know, people complain about that, and I always say, well, the one thing is, when we get to be that age, we'll be perfectly reasonable, won't sure. we? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and you know, you know um, we won't, right? Yeah, but that is a great start because communication is such a, you know, it's a theme we talk about when we talk about planning among families, whether it's estate planning or otherwise. It's to the extent you're able to do so. The communication is the key. Keeping all the kids, as we'll say, on the same page is really important. Keith, is that something where in the initial conversation you say to mom or dad, how much do you want us to help or mom, dad, can we can we take things from here so you don't have to? I think that's certainly the starting point. You start as soft as possible. I always say start with the easiest solution and see if that works. Yeah. And a nice soft angle like that is it will be appreciated at any stage. You know, can I help? Yeah, absolutely. And then if they don't, then slowly you have to maybe push back a little bit. Where do you even start and wherever you start, it's important to have everything documented. It really is. The important things is to have powers of attorney. And there's two types. There's durable powers of attorney for financial matters, which you should have in any event, regardless of age, because something can happen. You can have a stroke at any time, or maybe you're traveling overseas, or for any one of many reasons, you would want a trusted family member, let's assume an adult child, to be able to handle the finances on your behalf. Secondly, there was a health care power of attorney. And there are really two different types of health care directives. One is a power of attorney, and that is where you give another person, presumably a child or a spouse, the right to make health care decisions on your behalf if you're unable to communicate your wishes. And the other is what we know as a living will, a declaration to physicians. They're completely different things. A declaration to physicians is a statement to the world, this is what I want. A healthcare power of attorney says, this guy knows what I want, ask him. Say healthcare providers prefer the latter. They prefer to have a healthcare power of attorney because there's someone telling them what to do. If you have only a directive for a living will, a directive to physicians, then the physician has to make the decision, are these conditions met? And often not completely clear as to whether or not these conditions are met. Caring for aging parents, we're talking to Keith Butler, a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management, about it. It is a big responsibility, but can be done. Another point to consider is prepare financially and physically for health care costs. How is that structured? Well, that is a vulnerability, too. You know, we go through people's financial plans all the time uh, with our clients, and uh, often we're able to tell them, yeah, your financial plan looks successful under the assumptions we put in. It's, It's a mathematical calculation. What's the vulnerability? Often the vulnerability is a health event. And the unfortunate thing about that is that's not something you can control. I mean, if you have people that are maybe overspending, you know, their lifestyle, they have the ability to cut that back. Something happens from a health standpoint, there's nothing you can really do about that. There are products, there's long-term care insurance that is a life insurance sort of product um, that can be expensive, and you have to qualify from a medical standpoint to get that insurance, but that is one way to cover it, and for folks that do have those policies, they're extremely helpful. There's another possibility too, Danny, and that is you think about life insurance, and people have life insurance throughout their working lives to protect their income stream, right? A breadwinner, maybe a both spouse are breadwinners, Something happens to them that fall off in income has a negative impact to the family, so they buy life insurance to fund that. It makes complete sense. But then when people retire, that need sort of goes away, probably. 
Now, if you have an insurance product that has a cash value component to it, it may be possible to repurpose that policy into a new sort of life insurance policy that has a long-term care component. To oversimplify a bit, if the policy is, let's say, a $500,000 death benefit, you may be able to make that into a hybrid policy, which could advance some of that money if you have a long-term health care need, whether it's a nursing home, somebody taking care of you inside your home, something of that sort. It's just the start of a discussion, but it's an important discussion. It's one, if you need somebody to help, Annex Wealth Management is qualified to do that. Investment, retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning, we do it as a fee-only fiduciary. Know the difference? Website, AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Start the wealth metric process. Keith Butler, Wealth Manager, Annex Wealth Management. Thanks for your time. My pleasure. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. We're going to be right back, 92.5 Fox News. Headlines, texts, emails, the TV, the computer, the phone, even your smartwatch. Seems like it never ends. Market volatility can lead to anxiety and planning paralysis. No surprise Americans report being stressed about their investment and retirement plans. Turn down the media roar. Dial up the planning. Put Annex Wealth Management on your side for investment and retirement guidance that includes tax and estate planning. Head to AnnexWealth.com. Click the Get Started button. Know the difference with a fee-only fiduciary. That's Annex Wealth Management. Know the difference at Annex Wealth Management. Jill Martin is the estate planning attorney here, and she works with clients on a wide array of matters, including what we're going to talk about today. Welcome back. Thanks, Danny. Leaving money to minors. Now, I'm thinking trust fund babies. I think that's the first phrase that comes to mind, and I've known some, and they've been A, insufferable, and B, it hasn't gone well. Well, it depends on A, the dollar amount, but trust funds are generally actually a pretty good idea. And I think today we'll talk about what are some of the alternatives and maybe you might get turned around that the trust fund might be the better of the four. Okay. The typical arrangement, right? Spouses would leave money to the other spouse in the event that one of them died, right? That's a the beneficiary, that's, the that's primary. That's a pretty typical estate plan where, okay. you know, married couple leaves everything to each other. And then when the second of them passes, it passes on to the kids. But it doesn't always work that way, right? If something tragic happened, but then there's plenty of single parents too. Correct. And so it's important to think about if something happened to you and you were the sole parent that was alive, whether it's because a spouse predeceased or passed away at a very young age, or there's a divorce and, and they're just not yeah. in the picture anymore, those types of things, it's important for people to think about. So I was reading up about this and I came across the phrase property management, and that seemed really clinical, like it was a series of buildings or something. <laughs> but what do you think about that? When you leave something to someone who's under 18, somebody needs to manage it, whether it's they get left a house, somebody needs to take care of that house for those children. Somebody needs to manage finances or a bank account for those kids. That's what I guess property management would be. So to properly pass money to kids, is this set up via a will or is this a trust? It can be both or it can be none of the above. What happens is we work with a lot of clients who they use beneficiary designation. Maybe they say, I leave my IRA to my spouse and in the event that my spouse passes away before I do, I leave it to my kids. That's a very typical kind of estate plan and beneficiary designation form. The issue there becomes if all of a sudden both spouses have passed away and those kids are minors, they're going to inherit that IRA as minors. And so then all of a sudden they've got IRAs that they need to deal with and, and we have to figure out what to do with them. I saw the phrase court-appointed guardians. If you have minor children and you normally in a will would list who would be the guardian of those children in the event that you passed away and they're still minors. What that looks like is, is there's two types of guardianship. There's guardian of the person 
who are they going to live with, who's going to take them to school and coordinate, you know, the vacations and all of those types of things. But then there's also a guardian of the estate, and that's the person who manages the property. So normally in a will, you appoint someone to be that person. They can be the same. They don't have to be different, but you're picking who that's going to be. In the absence of a will, likely what's going to happen, an interested family member is going to come forward and ask to be appointed by the court. It is going to be someone that is known to the family that the court is going to basically pass judgment on and say that this is the appropriate person. Talking to Jill Martin about passing money to kids many different ways, many different situations. Let's talk about something called the UTMA, the U-T-M-A. What does that stand for? So U-T-M-A is a lovely acronym in our legal world. The Uniform Transfers to Minors Act. That allows you to transfer property in a little bit more efficient way than having this full guardianship of the estate that comes into play. Because the guardianship of the estate has annual court filings, and the guardian is going to have to go to court and get permission to make distributions for the benefit of that minor. And guardianships terminate when that child turns 18. UTMAs are a statutory creation that basically allows someone to create an account where they name someone as a custodian to take care of that money for the minor. The difference with the UTMA account is it extends it out to 21, but it also doesn't have the court supervision over it. So that custodian who's who's taking care of those funds can use those funds for the minor without having to get court approval to do everything. So UTMA, to me, sounds cleaner, better? Uh, depends on your facts and circumstances is my answer in my legal world, okay. right? The difference is, is the guardianship is very, very supervised so that the court is going to ensure those funds are used for the benefit of that minor. The UTMA account doesn't have the court involvement. So if you pick a custodian who's not real great with money, they could start potentially siphoning that money off for themselves rather than for the minor. So there's some pros and cons with both of them that depends on who it is that you trust to be that person. But generally, the UTMA is going to be less invasive from a, an administrative standpoint. So no matter what, when the, when the person, the kid, turns 21, they get it all? That is going to be their account going forward. Okay. And so what happens is... is You know, like at Annex, we have UTMA accounts for clients where maybe a grandparent set it up for a child. And so what happens is is legally that child becomes the owner of that account when they're 21. And therefore, they have full control over that account. Could that be a disaster? 18, 21, 40? I don't know. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) depending on what's going on with your facts and circumstances, any age could be detrimental. But a lot of people tend to think that 18 and 21 might be a little young for people to inherit money. My research has shown, yes, that is the case. So can you do it where somebody would inherit the money at 30 or, or later? Or? Yeah. So that's where you can use trusts. Instead of leaving money just to the minor outright, which creates the guardianship or into an UTMA account, people will use trusts as part of their estate plan. So you can do this under the will or under a revocable trust that you use. But basically, instead of leaving it to my son, Bob, I'm leaving it in trust for my son, Bob. And what that does is that creates a trustee who's going to be responsible for that property management, making distributions. But you get to customize the terms and conditions that Bob gets to make distributions for 
and the age at which that trust would terminate, if at all. It sounds complicated, and it sounds like something definitely people need professional help on. Jill, that's what you do for our clients. Absolutely. Jill Martin, an estate planning attorney at Annex Wealth Management. Thank you. You're welcome. Someone asks how you are. Most of the time, it's good. So how's your money, your investments, your retirement plans? Given everything going on good might not be the answer. It's time for Annex Wealth Management. Head to AnnexWealth.com. Click the Get Started button. Annex will build a plan that addresses your financial, retirement, tax, and estate planning. Annex Wealth Management can change the conversation. We don't want you to answer good. We want you to feel the confidence of saying great. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management. AnnexWealth.com. Know the difference? This is a team segment with Brandon Arps, a wealth manager at Annex. Welcome back to the show, Brandon. Good to see you, Danny. So baby boomers get a lot of attention. So do millennials and even Gen Z. You know who doesn't get much attention? That's Generation X. My generation. Yeah, I was trying to figure that out. I guess I, I think you're so youthful. I think of you as a millennial. <laughs> Take that as a semi-compliment, okay? <laughs> so Generation X, you're born in the early to mid-60s into the early 80s. So that's you, right? Yep. Okay. Latchkey generation. MTV generation, grunge, hip-hop, independent films. And according to a new study, the forgotten generation when it comes to retirement planning. Now, Brandon, you work with a pretty wide set of clients here at Annex Wealth Management. Are you kind of seeing the same thing? To some degree, yes. You know, it's it's kind of funny when you look at the type of people that come in, because I think there are certainly different types of savers, whether it's for gold specifically or retirement specifically. You get everything in the spectrum. So some of the millennials that I work with take savings very seriously, where they come into the office and the plan is for them to uh, retire at age 55. Well, nowadays, that's not very attainable for most folks. But some of these, a uh, percentage of these folks, actually, the way that their plan shakes out, the amount that they're saving, the expenses that they have, it looks very good. Are they kind of uh, rare birds, millennials, they that are. are actually getting real about retirement planning? They are a rare bird. Most like to engage. They want to see where they're at, what they can do to move the needle, and how they can increase their odds of a successful retirement or even early retirement. What do you see with Generation Xers, people that are about your same age? What I really see is, is kind of that hodgepodge of their career everywhere, coupled with the fact of the young growing family family, for instance, and the lack of time that they're able to dedicate to such an important topic. And, and as far as savings go, a lot of them are kind of just doing the, the minimum, um, maybe getting the employer match, haven't really looked at the allocation in the 401k, maybe started a, a Roth IRA a few years back, but never really look at it, don't make constant contributions to it, really kind of having everything out there but not really having the guidance or the direction on what is best and what should be done. Well, let's go there a little bit because at least they're doing something. And I think that's the important thing. So if they were to like get real serious as a Gen Xer and, and kind of 20, 30 years away from retirement mm-hmm. and they want to get serious all of a sudden, what kind of steps do you say? Now, you said that they're contributing the, the minimum. I would think you get that to the maximum. But what other things? Yeah. You know, you, you want to work on saving for yourself. You know, you've done a good job building yourself thus far, right? You maybe you went to college or you you got a nice job, um, have been climbing that corporate ladder. Right now, in, in a lot of these individuals I'm talking to, it's time to, to kind of climb the, the financial ladder. And, and the realization that kind of the, the investment that they've put into themselves previously is now paying off. Well, now it's it's a time that, that they're going to be able to look at other options outside of perhaps the 401k or increasing those contributions into investment accounts and savings that ultimately is going to lead to a, a much more successful retirement or 
other goals that they have financially. So what happens when they say, well, Brandon, that sounds good, but I got three little kids, I got a mortgage, I got all this stuff, you know, I got, I got soccer to pay for. I mean, all that stuff. So what do you say to that? Uh, me too. <laughs> me too. Uh, you know, everybody's got challenges and there's always going to be a handout that's ready to collect your next your next dollar. What I feel is getting serious about retirement planning is, is really getting serious about sitting down and talking about your goals. You know, a lot of us um, growing up and even over the past 10 years, I laugh in, in, in some of these meetings because one of the questions I ask is, hey, have you ever thought about how much money you want to spend in retirement? It's just such a, a thought that it is, is not common for our age group group. But engaging and, and, and having that initial conversation is very powerful because now that we are transitioning towards re- retirement years eventually, that conversation is going to be much more powerful as far as what we can do to implement a plan that makes sense. Gen X, from what I've read, tends not to work as closely with retirement professionals like, like we are. And obviously, we believe in that. That's what we do. So not working with a retirement professional, it can be an expensive mistake. It can be. That's kind of why we exist is to help bring some of the uncertainty out of your plan and help us work together or collaborate together to make sure that the financial decisions that you're making are ultimately going to affect you positively in the future. Gen X, listen up. It's not too late. And if you think you need to get things in the right place, Brandon, you and your Annex Ignite team, ready to roll up the sleeves and get things done. Absolutely. And I'm also seeing that a lot of people our age don't think that they have enough or that they would qualify for financial advisory services or that just because of the the balances in their accounts that it's not worthwhile or, or it won't make a difference. Well, that's very untrue because even though your accounts may be small today, when we put that in, into combination with kind of the everything that you have, it does add up and it does make a difference. Brandon Arps, Wealth Manager at Annex, talking about Gen X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to be here, Danny. How will tax increases in the Inflation Reduction Act affect your investment and retirement goals? It's time to reevaluate your plan. The Annex Wealth Management team has reviewed the new law and is ready to give your plan an independent review. No products to push on you, just serious planning. The in-house Annex team creates comprehensive plans that play out hundreds of possible scenarios, including sky-high inflation, lifestyle changes, and additional taxes. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management. AnnexWealth.com. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management. In 2020, 68 million U.S. households had pets. They're companions. They provide support. In many cases, they're total and complete family members. Now, we've covered passion assets quite a bit at Annex Wealth Management, but between client inquiries and a number of webinars and in-person meetings, it's clear our pets are a passion asset. Amy Kiskala is here to talk about it. She's a wealth strategist and estate planning attorney at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome back, Amy. Thanks, Danny. You know, I've struggled on this because many times I've thought, nobody wants to learn about estate planning for pets, but you're you're a pet owner. We've got three golden retrievers. In fact, this really came to light in our family when we had an old estate plan that was done before I started working at Annex Wealth Management. And part of it was if something happened to my wife and I, the dogs would go to a certain branch of the family. Well, that's not a possibility anymore. We really don't have something and it would kill us if something happened to our pets and they didn't have that quality. It's important to people, isn't it? It absolutely is. We love our pets. As an estate planning attorney in private practice, I drafted many plans where we did exactly that. Talked about what happens to those pets upon death or incapacity. I'm not making it up in this studio. We had somebody in that line of work and they said... 
I'm not making this up. They said they had done an estate plan for a monkey. You know, I believe it. You know, monkeys are probably expensive to maintain and you got to have the right person that's willing to take a monkey into the home. Right. When people think about estate planning for pets, maybe they think of Leona Helmsley, the American businesswoman who died in 2007 and she left a $12 million trust fund to her dog. And that was kind of the poster child for maybe excess, maybe. That's an extreme. But for people who love their pets and they care deeply for them, it's not unusual to have something set up to take care of them. And it's important because it's estimated that more than 500,000 pets are euthanized because their pet parent died or became disabled. Is this an estate plan for a pet or is this part of a larger estate plan? You definitely want to think about it as part of a larger estate plan. That's exactly what we're doing with estate planning is putting together the right decisions and documents to take care of the people and things that we love at our, at our death. And that includes our pets. Is this something that, let's start simply, what about incapacity? Is Are there provisions for that? There are. There are. Now, it can be very informal, right? Like somebody can just take your pet into their home and take care of it. With all good planning, it's good to have the right documentation in place. So for uh, during lifetime, you might have a pet care authorization form, maybe even a wallet card saying who you're designating to take care of that pet. You might also think about that financial power of attorney. So if you want to make sure that somebody has an authority to pay the expenses for the pet, maybe you specifically mention that in your financial power of attorney. Kids are expensive. Pets are expensive, too, right? There's the food. There's the medical care. There's all those things. Are there provisions for that? There are. There are. So when we think about our documents that take place at death, right, that's another place where we want to mention what we want to happen to our pet and how we want that pet taken care of. So you might just put a bequest in a will or maybe a living trust to say, hey, Jane's going to take my dog and I'm going to leave her a sum of money to pay for that dog. You can actually even go farther, though. And again, it's going to depend on on what your state law allows, but it is possible to create something like a pet trust a little bit like Leon Hemsley did. You know, again, I struggle with this topic, but I think and I know people who love their pets and it's important and they would want this for them. Others, yeah, they're going to go to the Farmer Wilsons, right? Right. And think about think about the monkey or a horse or a turtle. They can live a very long time and might be very expensive to take care of, in which case you might think about going to that level of creating that pet trust. And if you do, one of the things you want to think about is, well, what happens if there's money left at the end? Where are those funds going to go? They're going to go to a charity designated for animal causes or back to maybe a human beneficiary. Yeah. Yeah. Well, these are great thoughts. Where would somebody start? What's the best spot to start? I start by having a great conversation with your advisors, your financial advisor, your estate planning attorney about what your goals and intentions are and what makes sense. And then work with an estate planning attorney to put a good estate plan in place. Great. And folks, if you are listening to this and saying, oh, I'm not alone, I, I would worry about my pets. Amy and I are here for you, right? We are. Yeah. Amy Kiskala is a wealth strategist and estate planning attorney at Annex Wealth Management. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Danny. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. Stay tuned. There is more to come. We're going to be right back. 92.5 Fox News. The Week in Review, Know the Difference Minutes, team segments, planning topics, including investments, retirement, tax, and estate. It's all on the Annex Wealth Management YouTube channel, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Head to YouTube and search Annex Wealth Management. Act 1, Scene 3, Hamlet from William Shakespeare. There's the line, to thine own self be true. 
good advice, but when it comes to money, it might be the opposite. We found a list of seven money lies we tell ourselves. Dan Phillips is Director of Client Learning Development, a CFP and a CDFA at Annex Wealth Management. She is here to talk about them. Hey, Dan. Hello, Danny. I knew you knew that line. Uh, absolutely. Because why? <laughs> because that was my major in undergraduate. Still waters run deep. All they right. do. <laughs> All right. The first money lie we tell ourselves is, I'll be happier when I have X, X amount. Amount. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, we're used to thinking in terms of end games, right? So it's logical to think that one might say, well, when I have X amount of dollars, I'll have made it. However, life isn't linear. Neither are Shakespeare plays. Neither are our finances. So expenses and cash flows don't come in and go out smoothly all the time. And we're aware of this. It's great to have those goals, those target numbers, but there isn't a magic number that equates to happiness. What's a lot for some isn't a lot of money for others. Just like people, finances are personal to someone's situation, lifestyle, health, and all that. If we rely on that special magic number, we're actually setting ourselves up for disappointment if we don't achieve it and then maintain this happiness, you know, from there on out. But, you know, here's the thing, though. When we make progress toward our goals, it scientifically is satisfying. So whether or not we hit that magic target, we need to make progress. I'm probably going to butcher it, but there's the famous Rockefeller line where they said, well, how much money do you want? And he said, one dollar more. <laughs> right? <laughs> right, okay. right. Money line number two, I deserve it regardless of whether I can afford it. Yep. As humans, we love to rationalize our behavior, justify our actions. And let's face it, we've all been through a lot. So with the stimulus that came, bonuses, it's easy to say, hey, I work hard. It's been tough. I deserve this expense that's usually used to soothe the sting of expensive purchases the things that aren't really essential you know one off that's okay but with frequency that can derail a financial plan Money line number three, more of a declaration. I have strong financial willpower uh-huh many of us think we do so I say this show me your actual spending. I will show you what you value. Uh, Not my line, but a great one and very true. When was the last time that we really, really wanted something and we didn't get it? Even if it means we went back the next day and got it, right? That's just how we work. The average American spends at least a couple of $100 a month on impulse purchases. And when you add stress to that mix... Well, we're likely to spend even more. And that's probably why impulse spending shot up about 18% last year in 2020. Utilizing our phones and credit cards instead of cash, it makes it so easy. The average credit card shopper spends about 10% more with their cards than they would if they were actually pulling out their billfold and using cash. What's that old saying? You're spending money you don't have to buy things you don't, you don't need, need to impress people you, you don't, don't like. care about, right? <laughs> right? Or you don't okay. like, right, right. Deanne Phillips is a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management, talking about seven months lies that we tell ourselves. Number four, I'll save more later. Yeah, Danny. Okay, I'm going to show my age in this one, but you'll get this. I'll gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today, right? right? Uh, Yeah, people buy now and they think they'll save later or they'll pay the piper later. This might be what we have left over and without any real savings goal, right? Um, Fewer than one in six of us are saving more than 15% of our income and one in five people aren't saving anything. It's important to give a nod to how important the future you is to be serious about having enough money in retirement. No one wants to dramatically cut their lifestyle when they retire. Speaking of the future, money line number five, I have plenty of time to plan for my financial future and I don't need to think about it yet. You know, so I have clients that come in and they say that this is their kiddo, right? Because they're so young. When we're young and we're facing those decades of work, even before retirement, 
it can seem so far away that there might be an urge to put it off, put off all that planning. This gives more room in our minds for excuses and to spend however we want now. You know, one of my favorite quotes is from Benjamin Franklin. I say this all the time, by failing to prepare, you're preparing to fail. Moving through a list of seven money lies that we tell ourselves, number six, there's good and bad debt. And this is where it confuses me because I thought some debt is needed. So how bad is it? Yeah, so this one might be a money lie, but we really need to retool and rethink this. I say this all the time, Danny. We have to follow the math on this one. There's actually better debt when compared to factors like earnings, inflation, current economic circumstances. Let me give you an example. Many people have mortgage debt, right? And this is a great environment for low rates. People are refinancing into a two and three quarters, 3%, right? If an investment portfolio is making double that, and the mortgage debt is half that, well, that does look like smarter debt because the investments are doing better. So it's really about a comparison. Why why would you take money out of something that's growing and lock it up in your house just to have the house paid off? Now, there may be other reasons, and it goes back to your financial plan, but this really is mathematical as well as emotional. You need to explore both of those sides. We do tend to assign moral value to debt, And we have to remember, all debt does come with a cost. There's nothing for nothing, right? It's critical to understand how every loan affects our current and future selves. So focusing on that total cost of interest over time versus total earnings over time, that's what's important. Working through a list of seven money lies we tell ourselves, not trying to beat you up here because here's where I think it turns around. This is a lie. Wanting more is bad. It's not bad. No, it doesn't have to be. Ever hear of it's not having what you want, but wanting what you got. So while that's true, wanting more for yourself and loved ones isn't innately bad. What we don't want to do is trick our mind into telling ourselves that we'll just settle for less and let that affect our behavior, like saving less to justify our current spending to the detriment of our future self. This money lie holds us back, and it can be hard to improve our financial behaviors. But wanting more can be a positive motivator. Dan Phillips, Director of Client Learning and Development, CFP and a CDFA at Annex Wealth Management. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Used to be a retirement plan was working 40 years. Get the gold watch, walk out the door to see what was next, if anything. That was then, this is now. We're in an age of retirement redefined, and retirement could last a long time. At Annex Wealth Management, we get it. That's why our investment, retirement, tax, and estate teams are ready to create a comprehensive plan to help deliver the retirement you desire. It's time to know the difference. Work with a fee-only fiduciary. Retirement redefined. AnnexWealth.com. We are back. Quick reminder, this show is going to be on Spotify at the top of the hour. So if you came in partway through as you're traveling on a Thanksgiving weekend, that would be a great place. So look for us on Spotify. I'm Danny Clayton. Dave Spano is our president and CEO, Annex Wealth Management. Now joined in the studio by Mark Beck, Managing Director of Wealth Management Services. Welcome. Thank you. People are driving around this weekend and uh, doing some shopping and maybe listening to some Christmas music. But here, here's some good news as well. There was a big raise for savers uh, this year because interest rates went up and they began to get paid for saving. And Social Security checks are going to go up substantially, Mark, 8.7%. That's the biggest raise we've seen since 1980. And a $5 reduction in your Medicare right. Part B premium. So a double whammy. Exactly. Because, you know, by the way, that does happen. So they raise the Social Security and then they take it back on the Medicare Part B. Well, they the Medicare Part B went down 
and Social Security went up, so a double whammy. There you go. So if you're out driving around because you're shopping, a little extra money for spending. And of course, you talk about uh, Social Security, and, and I was reading the report, and you know, there's an earnings test that you must take. And you know, Dan, you always talk about uh, a secondary gig, or the gig economy, right? Mm-hmm. And so, if you had decided to retire or unretire and came back, you have to pay attention to where that gets taken back because there's an earnings test that is in place. I got a buddy who was an exec at a company, and he retired, and he's now working. I think he's at at a hardware place. Yeah. And I said, you you know, you got to watch how much you're going to make. He goes, oh, I listen to your show. Oh, yeah. So Ace is the place, right? <laughs> so you go and they look at it and they make sure that when you get over a certain number that they begin to tax your Social Security. And of course, uh, you know, there is some bad news, though, for those high-income workers. I read that uh, Social Security taxes are now up to $160,000 where that cutoff, you know, you'll remember not that long ago, it was 125000 Mark. That continued to went up and that went up 9% this year. Yeah creeps up along with that inflation rate, so the cost of living adjustment there. And, you know, of course, what you're talking about with the Social Security, people that start before their full retirement age. So if you retired and you're past that and you're taking Social Security, you're fine to continue to work and earn as much as you want. It's really younger than that full retirement age. you got to key in on that. Otherwise, you're giving back a big portion of that Social Security benefit. And the reason I bring this all up, Mark, and you're really good at this, we talk about the three-legged stool. So explain to the listeners what that is. Yeah, you know, you're going to have Social Security which is going to cover some of your retirement income. And for our higher income earners and you know more higher net worth folks, it's a smaller percentage. If you're fortunate enough, you might have the second leg, which is a pension. And that's where you've got this kind of guaranteed income stream. And then for a lot of people and more and more and more as we progress, what you're really counting on is your own personal savings. So building that nest egg that you're going to rely on during your retirement years. So those three legs are what's building the stool so you can spend more time in retirement. You know, we get a a lot of questions on Social Security for obvious reason, and it is a big part of a lot of Americans' pay. I mean, 25% of Americans get all of their income when they retire from Social Security. So there's always a question, especially from younger people, you might get this from your kids, is, you know, will Social Security even be around? But, you know, we all know about this trust fund depletion that's happening, and will it run out in 2035? This is something that's been talked about since President Clinton. I mean, it's been around a long time. Let's try to ease people's concerns because even if the trust fund gets depleted, Social Security is not going away. Right, because it's a pay-as-you-go system. So all current workers are paying into the system to pay benefits for retirees or people collecting off of that. So the cushion is there so that you know we can build longevity to the plan. And really, Dave, it's a math problem, right? right? I mean, this is one of the easier ones to solve because you just look at the inputs and the outputs and you make the adjustments, whether it's increase the tax rate or that cap on the amount right. of taxable income or right. so on. There's two levers they can pull. So mm-hmm. let's just kind of wrap this up now. And the reason why I bring it all up is when the financial planners and wealth managers that we have, they meet with folks that what do they do? Tell us about the screen that's up and the people stand in front of the screen and do this presentation. Yeah, you know, bring together expenses, lifestyle expectation, resources, project that out? Where am I headed? What's the likelihood that I'm going to be successful? Define your own success. You know, last dollar, last breath, or you want to leave a legacy to family or to charity. But you project all of that out and bring those things together. And where the rubber meets the road is the sequencing of some of these kinds of things, finding the right recipe that is most effective and efficient for you. I've gone through the process just within the last month. And it's one of these things that we've talked about on the shows for years. 
And until I actually went through it with my wife, did I really realize how in-depth the planning is. And we didn't even start with the investment portfolio. We talked more about what is it that you want to do in retirement. And yes, you can do it. And here's how we're going to do it. And I said, well, shouldn't I take Social Security now? No. And here's why. Now, that was for my case. But again, each plan is different, Mark. It is, absolutely. And you know that's where the really important things happen, the decision-making points, the sequencing of those decisions. You can move the needle so dramatically for people in terms of financial security, tax efficiency, distribution strategy. It's so important. Of course, we're going to do a great job managing the investment portfolio. That's important as well. But bringing all of that together on a comprehensive plan is really you know, the key to the success. Mark Beck is Managing Director of Wealth Management Services. Thanks for jumping on today. Appreciate it. Thank you. Dave Spano, President and CEO. Thank you. Nice show as usual, Danny. Thank yeah. you. Folks, I know we can help. Head to our website. It's AnnexWealth.com. You click the Get Started button. We want to thank you for listening. It means a lot. And we will see you back here next Sunday, noon. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 92.5 Fox News. The Annex Wealth Management Show is hosted by Annex Wealth Management, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Important information about the qualifications and business practices of Annex is available at AnnexWealth.com. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk. Please consult with a qualified fiduciary advisor about your specific situation.